Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks, Scampers, David, Thomas, Tony. What's up in the chat? Good to see you all ready for this weekend. You know, we had to bear through some bad football in recent weeks. I'll say it. Not this weekend. This is going to be an electric factory, Hayden. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Also feeling stressed. I feel like there's not oh. been a injury report as up in the air as this one. Everyone's starting to get the vid again. And we have big backfield changes. And to make it matters worse, the Thursday night game has as many question marks as the rest yeah. of them. And we don't have the answers. So you're making decisions without all the answers. So can't wait for this. Luckily, everyone else to make the same decisions as we do. Uh, I know that this comes out and is recorded like two hours before kickoff for Thursday night football. I know many of you watch and listen to this after Thursday night, but the people viewing us live and going to tune in before, hey, let's quickly jump into that Dalvin Cook running back situation here because he is dealing with a shoulder issue, has a history of shoulder issues. Uh, we saw multiple reports from multiple people saying he's leaning towards playing until the latest from Adam Schefter that says... Vikings Alvin Cook will play tonight against the Steelers with a shoulder harness. And he did this in the 2020 wildcard game. And he saw 31 touches for 130 yards and two scores. So again, Alexander Madison running back insurance. We love when he's the only back out there. So how are you proceeding with this backfield again on Thursday night football? There was two reports that came out. We had Tom Pelissero, who lives in Minnesota, used to work the Vikings beat, works at NFL Network, great reporter. He said this same exact thing as Schefter, that he's going to play, play through it, have his normal workload as long as he holds up. I'm following the news. That's all we can do in this situation. I kind of hedged a little bit. I have him in my rankings as the RB12. I moved Alexander Madison down to RB27. I do think there's injury risk. Do I think that you probably have a better option than Dalvin Cook? Probably not. He's going to... They're going to give him a little beaver tranquilizer. They're going to throw that harness on, and it's a must-win game. I know it's a short week. It doesn't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable about it, but we got to trust the reporters. It's not like the Vikings would trot out Dalvin Cook to think he's only going to play five snaps. You know, like that is always in the range of outcomes here of, hey, may only get five carries, but I could also see him equally get 25 carries. Like I am not in the business of trying to predict a recurring injury. I, I truly believe like teams have their you know, success in mind and what the best avenue to get there is. And they believe it's through Dalvin Cook. And it's for for this reason. One, I don't think if if Adam Thielen was playing, I don't think Dalvin Cook would be playing. Uh, and two, the Steelers are awful against running backs lately. I mean, they have 32nd in yards per carry allowed, 31st in explosive runs, open field yards. They're allowing over and over and over again. We think Alexander Madison's a very good player, but there's a huge difference in like the home run hitter, the vision, the cutting ability, the getting up to acceleration that Dalvin Cook has. And Mike Zimmer's seat boiling a little bit here, getting a little hot. And so I think he knows he needs Dalvin Cook in order to win this game, especially with the injuries they've had defensively. I don't think Dalvin Cook would have played if they would have won last week against the Lions. I think the initial reports was that he was going to play in week 15 on Monday Night Football against the Bears, but then you lose that game and it's a very important game in the NFC, then all of a sudden now their wild card tiebreakers and all that stuff gets really muddied. So I think they're returning him earlier because they lost last week. So yeah, there's a, there is a possibility that he does the Daryl Henderson thing where he doesn't play, but he's active. I I think that these two reports, Tom Pellicero, Adam Schefter, good enough for me. I don't think it's going to be that situation. There's a chance it happens, but I think you got to trust that he's going to get his 15 plus touches here. All right. We spent five minutes on this. So final statement. We are ranking Dalvin Cook over Alexander Madison. Yes. Yes. 
Okay. And is Alexander Madison purely a stretch flex play at the absolute most? Yeah, I wanted to start him in my league, and I, I'm a win and I'm in situation. I benched him. So yep. we'll see. All right. Regularly scheduled programming here for week 14. Everyone knows we're going to go through the 1 o'clock, the 4 o'clock, and the primetime games. Just a reminder to all of you out there, Indianapolis Colts, Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, they are all on by. So get them out of that lineup. Again, an awesome stretch of games. We're going to go through like the Rams backfield with Sonny Michelle and Dale Henderson. We're going to hit on a whole bunch of other injury things like Hayden alluded to with the Chargers offense. But we start off here with the one o'clock slate. And we jump first to the Las Vegas Raiders against the Kansas City Chiefs. Last six games for Kansas City, three points, 20 points, 13 points, 41 points, 19 points, and 22 points. Hayden, that 41-point game was against these Las Vegas Raiders. Patrick Mahomes, 50 attempts, 406 yards, five touchdowns. We talked all season long about the Chiefs and their struggles offensively. Well, when you get a single high defensive coach like Gus Bradley, to me, this is the time and the option and the moment for Patrick Mahomes to air it out. So the first thing I look at is projected points. The Chiefs are projected to score the most points of the week, all the way up at 29 points. And we're starting to see, just because of injuries and just we have a big enough sample, the elite teams are really starting to get away from the rest of the league. And this chart kind of shows it, how the top six teams are by far, uh, far and away projected for more points and more pass volume. And right now, the Chiefs, even though it's been kind of a struggle for Patrick Mahomes, third in neutral pass rate, fourth in neutral pace, and then after you go through projected points, pace, pass rates, then you can get into the matchup data. And the matchup data, like Josh was alluding to, was elite. He was, or the Raiders are currently 27th in passing EPA on defense, 23rd in adjusted sack rate. They're 20th against fantasy quarterbacks. And I think part of the reason why we like this matchup is because the Raiders are first and middle of field closed coverage, single high shells. That has a little bit more propensity to have some deep plays. They're last in blitz rate. Um, and there's been a little bit of some splits with the Chiefs in single high versus too high. But even if you want to not even use that data, pace, points, uh, pass rate, all there for Patrick Mahomes. I think you do need to use that data, though, because to me, it absolutely identifies why this is like one of those blast-off games in comparison to others. Like, we've seen the Chiefs be super patient in recent weeks once Clyde edwards Lair has come back, right? Like their first drive two weeks ago, 12 plays for 72 yards and a touchdown. Last week, nine plays, 86 yards and a score. And like five or six of those plays are, are on the ground. This is going to be the time where Patrick Mahomes, because again, to me, that was all dictated on what the defense was giving you. And now we're going to get Tyreek Hill on the outside, Travis Kelsey in the middle. I mean, the pick line right now, and I'll pull it up while you're talking with Patrick Mahomes, is at 287 and a half passing yards. And again, so much of that is just dictated on what he has done against all these other opponents. And from the Raiders' perspective, I understand it's not as easy as installing a new defense each and every week in the NFL, especially when your personnel, like John Abram, is built to not play to not play too high. It's played to you know file and aggressive into the box. Yeah, basically. Gus Bradley has not changed his ways like Dan Quinn has from that same Seattle system. 
So this is totally open to me for a Patrick Mahomes over for whatever his prop is you can find out there. The most uh, single high snaps that the Chiefs that the Chiefs have faced this year, twenty eight of them was against this Raiders defense. So yeah, as as long as they don't change it. But even if you like you're saying the the re, probably the reason why the Raiders haven't changed their defense is because they don't have the personnel for it, and it's a new defense, a lot of young players that they probably can't just like cook something up. And even if right. they did, this offense is still good enough. I will say Patrick Mahomes has been missing some throws, like period. His accuracy is just down a little bit this year. I don't know why that's the case. Uh, sometimes he like will drop his elbow a little bit more and throw the ball without his feet planted probably a little more than he should. And that's been like the good of Patrick Mahomes. But this year it's been kind of some balls have been sailing. So um, I don't think the offense is ever going to get fixed to like where they're hanging up 35 points per game. But I think that it's, they can kind of find that middle ground and that's where Vegas has a projected for 29 points. Yeah. I mean, nine and a half point favorites here, a total of 48. Let's look at the Raiders end of this. We talked about Josh Jacobs on the usage show, how he's basically a low end running back one with his usage as well. Um, but to the point of Derek Carr, because I'm not going to say it's been a tale of two seasons for him, Hayden, but things have changed for him because he does not have a great offensive line. They're without their former first-round wide receiver who's one of the fastest in the league. He was without one of the best receiving tight ends in the NFL last week. He has to be perfect, and he's not being perfect right now. Like The stuff he has to Hunter Renfro is awesome, but then he's taking shorter passes rather than going deep. And then he's missing some plays in the end zone as well. So like he is still playing good, but again, the situation that the Raiders have put him into right now, he has to be perfect for them to have a success as a whole. Totally agree with that. The big thing, Darren Waller has gone DNP back to back days through Thursday. It's unlikely that he's going to play. And the Raiders EPA per drop back is 0.25 EPA worse with Darren Waller off the field. That's a massive Difference. The other big difference is the Chiefs defense since week nine. This is like classic Steve Spagnolo. They added Melvin Ingram. They figured out what works, what doesn't work. All of a sudden, since then, they're third in EPA for drop back. That includes a 41 to 14 win over these Raiders. So Derek Carr, I have him ranked pretty low t- into the 20s at quarterback. It's Hunter Renfro only for me among their pass catchers. And then Josh Jacobs, I moved up to uh, inside the top 10, getting all of the routes getting targeted, getting um, lots of neutral carries just because the Raiders know. If you and I know they can't pass the ball, the Raiders certainly know that they can't pass the ball. So it's just going to be Josh Jacobs checkdowns, Hunter Renfro checkdowns, and that's it. We were so concerned, like we are every single year, about this Chiefs defense, and look, here we are in Week 14, and it's been a huge turnaround. You mentioned EPA. I mean, Aaron Schatz, who's awesome at Football Outsiders in terms of DVOA, and the Chiefs rank third in DVOA since week six behind only the Patriots and the Cowboys. And they're second since week eight. I mean, since that week eight time, it's the Broncos, it's the Cowboys, it's the Raiders, it's the Packers with Jordan Love. So that doesn't necessarily count. So like while some of it is, yes, the opponents that they face and the personnel that they faced, I'm happy they can do that against anyone based on what we saw earlier this year. And it's because of the pieces you mentioned, Melvin Ingram, um, also moving Chris Jones back to the interior and just playing better as a whole. And so we talk about peaks and valleys and we're going to do that here as we go along and like teams hitting their stride. I'm glad the chiefs are doing it at this point. And again, I think you're going to be able to show all the areas where they have the best players in and la- allow them to shine. Cause I think this matchup perfectly situates itself in order to do that. Yep. Uh, just to reiterate, Josh Jacobs, 19.9, 17.6 expected half PPR points in the last two games. 
uh, ran around on 33 of 45 dropbacks last week. So that's the definition of low end RB one workload. Now, I think a lot of people still want to try to play everyone against the Chiefs as possible and not to call it Alpha Omega. So glad that you're here, Alpha. But Brian Edwards, boom wink, he says. Uh, I'm against that. And maybe you can look up the fancy usage of where Brian Edwards has been over the last. No, you can't. You're shaking your head. I understand. Well, I don't uh, want to. Right. So my point in saying this is one and grades are grades, but PFF has watched more covered snaps than I have. And they love Rashad Fenton. Like Rashad Fenton's their number one corner out there. Um, also, Zay Jones is seeing like just as many snaps as Brian Edwards is. And you throw in like Deshaun Jackson as well. So to me, this is not the same. Like we have to get the Chiefs week three, week four, you know, week five defense out of our brains and recalibrate where we're at. And I, I mean, it, it's absolutely feasible still because this game could have a whole bunch of points. But I'm not nearly as like, a, oh, play anyone against them as your flex as a spot start as I was back then. Yeah, I ranked uh, 62 wide receivers. The only Raiders uh, receiver in the fantasy usage model over the last four months to qualify is Hunter Renfro all the way up to wide receiver 22. I have Hunter Renfro ranked inside my top 20 this week. Cool. All right. Next up, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns. Browns favored by two and a half at home. A total of 42. Can we start in the Ravens end? Because, again, a tale of two halves of the season for them. Lamar Jackson, I don't know, in the first half, you could have propelled him, pushed him as like an MVP candidate. Now, Baltimore has scored fewer than 20 points and put up less than 200 or 350 total yards in four straight games. This is how I view it. Because, again, he was unbelievable, Lamar was, to start this year. But he had to be unbelievable with all the offensive line injuries they have and continue to have, running back injuries they had, and now they have defensive injuries as well. They've seen you know, being unable to conquer the blitz at times, and then when the offense does block it, he's escaping the pocket way too early. This is just a, a pretty poor situation that you know the Ravens and, and their offense find themselves in. And it kind of is only getting worse from like a team personnel standpoint. They're projected for under 20 points this week. I mean, that's yep. got to be the first time since Lamar Jackson's been a starting quarterback. That's 21st, including the bye weeks uh, among the teams this week. And I totally get it. Now they're 26 in neutral pass rate, which is nuts because after like the first four weeks, they were all the way up to 13th. So they're playing with slower pace. They're taking a ton of sacks. They're 29th in adjusted sack rate. And when we looked uh just in week 12, when these two teams faced off the zone, the, the Browns played zone on 41 to 44 dropbacks, 41 to 44. And Jackson was still pressured on 50% of those dropbacks because miles Garrett to make matters worse this week, right? Tackle Patrick McCarry hasn't practiced. He was active for that game. And just because of a, a weird scheduling thing, the Browns have only been focused on the Ravens for I'm literally a month in a row. <laughs> yeah. it, it went Ravens by Ravens. The yep. a sharp front office that now has a fully healthy defense. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromo is back. Miles Garrett's still balling out. Jadavian Clowney's healthy. They've only been focused on this offense for an m- entire month. So right. I moved Lamar down a little bit. He still can get there with the, the legs. So I get it, but like the entire Ravens as a whole, there's a reason why they're projected for the 21st most points this week. And if anyone is, you know, a a Lamar spy out there, it's going to be JOK. I mean, the way he flies around the field, guaranteed that they're going to utilize him with that now that he is back healthy. Look, 
I love Lamar Jackson as a player. Was so thrilled at what he did through the first six, seven weeks. But it's gotten worse. And part of it was like they were winning games that they shouldn't have. Like regression was going to hit them at some point. But it's even more than that now because, again, the injuries that they have defensively. And Lamar is just missing stuff. I'm, I, I mentioned it. I mean, there were times where – who they played last week? It wasn't the Steelers. It, anyways, Mark Andrews was wide open down the field on some of these extended plays. And instead of sticking to the pocket – because finally that offensive line was able to sustain their blocks and give him time. He's now has it in his head, which I think is natural for any quarterback that had so much failure against the blitz and zero blitzes against Miami that he wants to get rid of it and get outside of it completely. And then he forces incompletions because of it and takes him out of these situations that were wide open and were designed for him. But then when he does his job, then I think Greg Roman gets some criticism too because of the spacing and the wide receivers and the play calls. So while everything was going so well now, and that's not even to mention that Lamar is absolutely carrying the rushing game because there's no explosive elements to it. So again, like we said about Derek Carr, almost, almost Lamar Jackson has to play perfect. He did, and now he can't. Yeah, you're starting Mark Andrews, who's number one in fantasy usage over last month. Marquise Brown is certainly boom bust but he's still the wide receiver 14 in fantasy usage over the last month. He's just been really inefficient with those. He's a positive regression candidate, so I think that you still want to be starting him. But the Rashad Bateman thing, yeah. Sammy Watkins, the the running backs, all of that stuff is a very thin play just because they're projected for that many points. So it's the same big three that it's been for the entire year. I think that the Devonta Freeman, he's, his usage has been higher, but this is just not the right matchup. Projected to lose, uh, not projected to score even 20 points this week. All right, let's talk about the Browns and because it's not like their offense is anything to write home about either because the Browns have scored 14 points or fewer in five of Baker Mayfield's last six starts. They get a deodorant. They get a remedy here, though, Hayden, because look at what the Ravens are trotting out in their secondary. In week 14, it's Anthony Averett, who whenever he touched the field previously is like the fourth cornerback in the depth chart, would immediately get targeted. Now he's the number one corner. On the team, Chris, Chris Westry, Brandon Stevens, Chuck Clark absolutely do not try to play the where'd he go to school game with me about any of these players other than Averett because I have zero clue. So it's Baker Mayfield against a defense that is awful in stopping explosive plays, awful at tackling after the catch. My question to you is other than, you know, the Nick Chubbs and the Kareem Hunts of the world, what pieces can the Browns or do the Browns have to take advantage of that? So there's a little bit of a thinning out going on. I don't really have that much faith in Donovan Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins and none of those wide receivers behind Jarvis Landry. The backup tight ends, your Harrison Bryant, your David Njoku's, they're not supposed to play. So I think that Austin Hooper, if you're looking for a tight end two streamer, he's at least in play. He has not been a full-time player but now he should be. And I think that those injuries will also make Kareem Hunt see the field a little bit more than usual. I have uh, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt all as starters in my rankings. Going back to the Ravens injury, it's not just that Marlon Humphrey's good. It's the way that their scheme set up. I mean, man heavy, they're third in usage there. They're fourth in blitz rate. You can't play that way with bad corners. Like you're just putting them on islands. And Marlon Humphrey's so physical that he can get away with that. And he it's hard to like throw a quick pass because Marlon Humphrey's all up on your ass. I don't know how they're gonna do this. Like Me either. 
this seems like this is just going to be a complete falling out for the Ravens, which I hate because I love Lamar Jackson. I love the organization. I don't know. This feels really bad. Offensive line and secondary. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. I mean, it was just a cursed year for them not to bring back their offense here. But when you have so much invested in the running back position with the contract you just gave to Gus Edwards, the second round pick in JK Dobbins. And that's like the identity of your team in some ways. And that falls through before it even gets started. Plus Ronnie Stanley, who's a big contract, a left tackle, one of the best in the league can't even play a snap this season. Like that all, you know, yeah. like pinballs, it, it all gets worse. Right. Um, and this also on the other end for the Browns, it's a must win for them. I mean, they're six and six right now. The Ravens are still the third seed in the AFC at eight and four. The Cincinnati Bengals sandwiched in there right at seven and five. The Pittsburgh Steelers are six, five and one. I mean, all of these AFC North teams are neck and neck. And again, it's crazy with all these deficiencies and the close games that the Ravens have won the season. But again, these final five ish games, it can all, it can all tumble tumble down. It could be the start here this weekend. I, I will say like, if there is a strength to this Ravens team, it's their aggressiveness flying forward. It's like the defensive lineman, the meat they have up front. What does that do to the likes of Nick Chubb? And we barely even saw Kareem hunt when he came back into that fold. It was only like a handful of touches for less than 50 yards. Yeah. I, I think that the bye week is going to help Kareem hunt get on the field. I don't have too many concerns with that, I do want to make the, the final push for Jarvis Landry, wide receiver 23 in the fantasy usage model over the last month, uh, all those injuries. And then the other note is, for whatever reason, the Browns had their second highest neutral pass rate of the season against the Ravens just two weeks ago. So I think all these little things kind of adding up for Jarvis Landry, who typically has a pretty low ceiling. He might be able to take something here if he's going to be the only one targeted and there's all these uh, secondary issues going on. Next up, Dallas Cowboys favored by four on the road against the Washington football team, a total of 48. I know this show is about underdogs. If you ever do overdogs or spread dogs, I absolutely love the Dallas Cowboys this week. Absolutely love them. Besides the running backs, everyone is finally healthy. They got Demarcus Lawrence back last week. Kind of seems trending towards Randy Gregory playing possibly this week. That allows you to move Micah Parsons all along the field. The offensive line, some pieces are getting back there. And again, we finally saw CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup on the field all together. And when that happened earlier this year, at least most of those pieces, they had the second best offense and success rate, fifth in EPA. Again, this Washington defense over this four-game stretch has like regressed heavily in the right direction. But I just think that this is the start of something here for the final few-game stretch for the Dallas Cowboys. Totally agree. Tyron Smith's not even on the injury report anymore. Obviously, those splits are massive, too. There's also something going on with just the Cowboys and their neutral pass rates potentially in this game with Tony Pollard tearing his plantar fascia. He's at least very questionable for this game. If Zeke is a little bit banged up and he's the only running back, I'm not sure if they're going to say, here's 25 touches all of a sudden to Zeke. So I think that they're going to pass the ball more. And even if you, even if like the injuries weren't, uh, existing in this backfield. Washington's defense has been allowing the second highest neutral pass rate in the NFL this year. Teams are choosing to pass the ball. And this small sample stuff for the Washington defense to me is just noise. Like you don't lose Chase Young and Montez Sweat and then all of a sudden get better. Like this team is still pretty, uh, just they don't have that much talent in general. And I think that this can be a game, like you said, where the Cowboys really get back on track. And if that means 
more passing, that's good news because they're just way, way more efficient whenever they decide to pass the ball than run it. And as you know, Dak is just missing some throws every single game that he was not doing in the first four or five games of the season as well. Yeah, Greg in the chat asks, so Pollard could really play with the torn plantar fasciitis. Apparently, never had this happen to me. It's actually better when it fully tears because then, which is crazy to think about with the human body. uh, Tony Pollard was told that by some of the media and he said, well, I'm actually waiting for it to feel better because it's not feeling better yeah it's probably on fire i've I've, I've had it flare up for a second and i'm like wow it feels like your foot is on fire i couldn't imagine i don't even know how he scored that touchdown because he told he told the reporters he tore it on that 58 yeah how these nfl players just ridiculous man quick quickly in washington's defense and this is something that we've been tracking for weeks and weeks and weeks on this show they've been good all season long on early down success so first and second downs they were awful in the first half of the season on third downs, like it didn't matter if it was third and nine or third and two, they weren't getting off the field. Teams were converting. They were the worst in the NFL in third down success rate. In these last four games, they're the best in the NFL on third down success rate. And like you said, that's without Chase Young. That's without Montez Sweat. And speaking of Sweat, he was supposed to come back this week, but now he has COVID. And so he might miss next week as well. Um, so if we see the two ends, Hayden, what do we think is eventually going to happen? Somewhere in the middle, Right. So maybe they'll be 15th or 16th this week, next week, the week after that. And I just think the Cowboys are in like a perfect position, again, with their health along the offensive line and health their pieces with Dak and defensively to uh, to really put some points up here. And I want to play all three of these wide receivers, all three of them, and especially C.D. Lamb, who is my Benji of the week. Love that call. I took, there was a rivals on underdog right now between cd lamb versus terry mclaurin and i took the cd lamb side because of this neutral pass rate stuff uh for the washington like you alluded to the dallas defense is getting healthy all of a sudden and that has not been the case for a while especially up front and uh the washington's offensive line has been doing a little bit of musical chair situation because of all these injuries and they have been passing the ball basically not at all they're 28th in neutral pass rate over the last month because antonio gibson's been able to run the ball i'm not sure if that's going to work all of a sudden and I like the Cowboys' chances of being able to create pressure for Taylor Heineke. So I'm with you. I think this is going to be a game where a lot of the funk that we've been dealing with with the Cowboys, primarily led by injuries, kind of gets put in the past, and then we all realize that they're a top-10 team for sure. Shout-out, though, to Washington, because in season, it can be so difficult to change who you are. And truly, in their bye week, they have revolutionized who they are. I mean, their four-game winning streak is the longest in the NFC. And so what does it turn to? A couple notes. Volume running game with Antonio Gibson when he gets 19, 23, 26, 23 carries. Check, right? John Matsko, who was Ron Rivera's longtime offensive line coach in Carolina. Uh, His fourth center, you know, his second right tackle. Check. I mean, they are playing unbelievable football and playing with awesome confidence. And you get Scott Turner's running game which shows, and especially with Curtis Samuel last week, they did a lot of window dressing type stuff. It was really, really cool to see. Like they would bring him in jet motion, then they would run Antonio Gibson directly up the middle here. Like what they do and how they create creases, again, it's not like it's not like Antonio Gibson's getting like Jonathan Taylor numbers or Nick Chubb numbers, whoever else you want to bring up, right? But he's getting 80, 90 yards consistently. And right now, right now, 
that's absolutely working out. And when you only ask Taylor Heineke to win like three to five times per game, that's absolutely the success and the formula that is working for them right now. Yeah, I think think he's going to be asked to win more than three to five times this week, though. Like against the Cowboys, that's where things can get sideways here. Uh, Still no J.D. McKissick. So Antonio Gibson, I wrote a column about his um, like how game script dependent he is. I don't think that's nearly as much the case if J.D. McKissick is out and he hasn't practiced this week. So I have Gibson, even with a negative game script, even though we think that this could be a big Cowboys game. I still have him as a top 10 running back because he's just getting all the usage in the world. I think he's number two in the usage model over the last month. My connection is absolute bollocks right now, so I can't bring it up. But what Taylor Heineke did on a third and 10, I believe it was, like they opened with a 22-yard gain. And then a couple plays later, it was a third and 10. And, you know, Eric Flowers, Charles Leno kind of screw up this, this stunt with Max Crosby rushing inside and it allows Denzel Perryman plus the corner to jump in. And Charles Leno's stuck in no man's land and ends up blocking absolutely no one. Again, you know I have a soft spot in my heart for Taylor Heineke and like the confidence he plays with. He steps into this thing, understands the slot blitz, and unloads on like a 13-yard out route to Terry McLaurin that he catches perfectly along the sideline. Again, we saw it early on the season asking Heineke to unleash an arm on far hash throws inside the red zone when everything's condensed, losing formula. But now just win certain moments and sustain drives because of the running game and set you up for, you know, third and four and converting situations. They're doing that. But big point here. Wanted to give them credit because it's all going to come crashing down, crashing down against there the Dallas go. Cowboys. Okay. Speaking of crashing down, the Carolina Panthers are two and a half point favorites here for some reason against the Atlanta Falcons, 42 and a half. Um, We had an OC change during the bye week here for Carolina. The Panthers are going to run the damn ball. We know that against a bottom tier run defense in the Atlanta Falcons, but it's also with a bad offensive line. So Hayden, our best guess, because this is a rare thing to happen during a season. Our best guess of this offense with a new play caller is what? They're going to run the damn ball. I mean, outside of one game over like the last uh, two months, They've been like league low neutral pass rates. And I think that's exactly why Joe Brady is going to be interviewing for the uh, Miami head coach or uh, offensive coordinator job. Um, It's just Matt rule. It's just what he wants to do. It's what Cam Newton uh, can do. And I think it's going to be a Chuba Hubbard game. I don't think that it's going to be very effective because guard Michael Jordan, uh, not that Michael Jordan, another Michael Jordan. He hasn't practiced. John Miller hasn't practiced. Cameron Irving on IR, Matt Paradis on IR, like, even with all those guys are healthy, though that was a bottom five offensive line. That's four starters not playing. So I don't care what the 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 how bad the Falcons defense is. Like I don't know, man. This is gonna be like Cam Newton for a couple design stuff. DJ Moore if he can get away from AJ Terrell, who's absolutely balling, and then Chuba Hubbard based off a of volume, but like right. efficiency wise, like nah. That that's what I'm saying. Like Matt Rule after making his OC change, and it's so obvious it happened because. Joe Brady was the passing game coordinator at LSU, did a lot of, had a lot of success with that actually last season with Teddy. And this year, they can't protect anyone. And he was trying to throw it with Sam Darnold and a broken shoulder, Cam Newton. And so you're not just going to have success throwing the ball. So it's very clear that Matt Rule didn't like the run concepts that Joe Brady put out there on the NFL field. And so now he has his longtime friend, his high school buddy, and thinks that they can run it. But the issue with that and like what we saw on Monday Night Football with the New England Patriots is they have six studs along the offensive line New England does. 
And Carolina has one good player along the offensive line. He plays right tackle, and his name is Taylor Moten. That's such a drastic defense difference. Like this game plan isn't just copy paste, copy paste, crack toss, G lead. It's going to work for everyone. I don't care how bad the Falcons defense is. Like Chuba's probably going to get 20 carries. I could totally see that wind up for 65 yards. You know, all of this, and we'll talk about the defense of Carolina versus the offense of Atlanta. It helps me lean. Yes, 24 for 82, 100%. Helps me lean towards the under in this game because I think both offenses have avenues where they can struggle against their opposition. Yeah, going to the Falcons side of the ball right now, the Panthers are top five in basically every single category when it comes to defense. That's uh, pass efficiency, sack rate against fantasy quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. It doesn't matter. And I think a reason why that's going to be the case for fantasy purposes is because this Panthers offense is going to be all of a sudden really slow. And I think they kind of match up well. The Panthers do, like you noted in our Slack channel, talking about um, Stephon Gilmore up against Kyle Pitts. And we talked right. about the usage show that Kyle Pitts, even when he goes to inline, even when they move him back and forth, what we're seeing is opposing defenses are putting up their corners, not their nickel corners. No, they're outside corners on Kyle Pitts. So that's going to be something to monitor. So to me, this is going to be a lot of, dinking and dunking they don't have a vertical threat um basically either one of these teams right now like dj Moore can do it but i don't like the matchup i don't like cam newton doing that so i think it's gonna be a very ugly low scoring game like you said yeah against the panthers earlier this season cal Pitts had two catches two catches for 13 yards and that was when stefan gilmore made his debut and i think he only played like 15 snap and snaps in yep. that game but so much of it was like fourth down passes third down attempts sideline targets against cal Pitts, and yes now, Stefan Gilmore, he's increased his snaps. He's played like 37 to 45. They want to keep him around in that range. But he's just going to be on the field to stop Kyle Pitts as like a shutdown player and treat him as, as a wide receiver. Um, the under 55 and a half, which we have on, on underdog right now in the pick'em lobby, I understand it's absolutely terrifying to take unders, especially with a freak show that Kyle Pitts potentially can be and like just two catches might get him home with that. But just how this lines up and how they're going to play defense against him, plus throw in Falcons offensive line can be totally brutal at times. And that is the strength of Carolina's defense in terms of pass rushers of Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick and so on and so forth. That is the other area on top of this. And that's not just the wide receiver and cornerback matchup, if tied in, if you want to call them that. It's also the offensive line versus defensive line and they're overmatched there too as well. I'll still make the case for Kyle Pitts in season long just because he was a couple plays away from a massive game. There's a couple plays where he just caught the ball out of bounds. He had some end zone uh, looks where he was just double covered. There was one play where he got pushed out of bounds. And if he didn't get pushed out of bounds, that would have been a 40 yard touchdown. So he still has the ceiling that like maybe four or five tight ends have. So I still like to chase that uh, when I can at a, at a tight end position. That's pretty weak. So if it's like Dalton Schultz, versus Kyle Pitts. Give me Kyle Pitts. I know they're not projected to score as many points, but he's still getting the usage that he wants. And he actually, in fact, ran more routes than we're used to. Um, so he's still he's still a tight end one. I, I do agree that this is not a, a pretty matchup for anyone in this game, but I, I still think that the ceiling is worth chasing at least in season yeah. long. Falcons games have gone under the total in five of the last six. Just saying. Let's make it six or seven here this weekend. Still going to the one o'clock window. Let's go through this one quickly. Five and a half favorites of the New Orleans Saints are on the road against the New York Jets. Uh, we'll start with the Saints since they're favored. With how bad Taysom looked to us visually, aesthetically, his fantasy points were great. 
Somehow turned 19 completions of 41 attempts for 264 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, 101 rushing yards as well. So that shows us like just from a pure football standpoint, that's about as worse as it could possibly get. And he still put up 20, 25 fancy points. So against a Jets defense, which has turned over and rolled on their stomachs or on their backs and like let you rub their belly week after week after week with Alvin Kamara back too. It's a nice little recipe for success we might have here with Taysom Hill as you get to the final week of your fantasy football regular season. Yeah, he's just the m- biggest boom-bust quarterback one there is. He's averaging um, 62 rushing yards per start uh, over the last two seasons. But, like, I mean, everybody else is a stone-cold disaster, especially with that finger. It could pop up at any time. He is practicing in full. It does sound like they're going to get uh, left tackle Teron Armstead back. Getting Alvin Kamara back is huge because that's going to be a couple screens for cheap yards for Taysom Hill. And like you said, like they'll lay on their back, want you to scratch their belly, but there's no dogs on this Jets defense. They're dead last um, against uh, running back, so it's a huge Alvin Kamara thing. They're uh, second worst in passing EPA, third worst in, in rushing EPA. I mean, this Jets defense is a total joke. So Taysom Hill and... Alvin Kamara, two fantasy starters, in my opinion. Yeah. Either you're going to get C.J. Mosley going in the wrong direction on zone reads with Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, or if this is still in the playbook, Alvin Kamara on angle routes against C.J. Mosley to the house, man. Yeah, to the house like that. That is a formula for success for them. Do you have anything to say on Alvin and like maybe his potential workload here? Because again, it's such a different contrast versus what we saw with Jameis Winston and Drew Brees in the past, but we do have some background here with Alvin and Taysom playing together. So I understand the splits, but like the splits from last year, like there was a couple of those weird, weird games where they're up by so many points that like he wasn't getting uh, as many targets, but in the last game they played together, he did get like 10 targets. I think that Taysom Hill can throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. And even if he couldn't this week, Mark Ingram's on the COVID list. Ty Montgomery's on the COVID list. Who is the next running back? Yeah. Like it's going to be like almost a hundred percent Alvin Kamara, and he's been getting in uh, full practices as well. So I think that he is a absolute smash play. I'm all the way up to RB two overall. Not concerned about any of the injury stuff. Not concerned about Taysom just because they literally have nobody else. Yeah. Okay. Jets end. First half for Zach Wilson against the Philadelphia Eagles. Twelve of fourteen, 108 yards, three total touchdowns. Second half, it was far worse. I think it was two interceptions. What do we make of that? And I guess most importantly, I shouldn't bury the lead here. The one bright light has been Elijah Moore. I mean, since week eight, he has more receiving yards and receiving touchdowns than Jamar Chase and Cal Pitts combined. He's been in an unbelievable role, yet he did not practice Wednesday. He did not practice Thursday here with a quad injury. Maybe we get a limited on Friday, and then he plays, but it's not looking good here for, again, the bright spot that is Elijah Moore, and they're already without Corey Davis. Yeah, no Corey Davis, probably no Elijah Moore, probably no Tevin Coleman, so all of a sudden you're dealing with a bunch of backups, backup offensive linemen and backup skill guys, and Zach Wilson has just not been good enough to make up the difference, and especially if the Saints are just going to be playing man defense, like, which Jets uh, wide receiver is going to just be like winning their one-on-one matchups? I think the only fantasy starter here, and I actually have him inside my top 30 wide receivers, is Jameson Crowder. He played all the snaps. He plays in the slot a little bit, and there's uh, no Chauncey Gardner-Johnson for the Saints right now. 
The Saints defense has been, uh, at least through the air, been picked apart a little bit. He had all the routes last week. Um, I know they get Keelan Cole back in the mix, but to me, just Jamison Crowder is their best option. And I think it could be a Ty Johnson game in the backfield if you like that. But the, the Saints defense, if there is a strength right now, it still would be the run game. I know the last couple of weeks hasn't been that good, but yeah, this Jets this Jets offense could get really, really bad this week. Yeah, people saw on the screen 209.5 passing yards is the over-under here for uh for Zach Wilson. Again, I know I know that the Saints defense has also spiraled out of control ever since like week eleven, I believe it is, off the top of my brain. Uh, but this is a get right spot for them, too. Absolutely get right spot for them. I hate that Elijah Moore's out. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Limited at the very least. Okay, here we go. A couple more. Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans. Titans favored by eight and a half, 43 and a half total. Prior to the bye week, Hayden, the Tennessee Titans lost to the Houston Texans. I have no clue here after the bye week how they fix this damn offense because right now it's awful. Unless, unless the Jaguars do it for them. And the return of Julio Jones allows them to be a little frisky. Where do you think I have Ryan Tannehill ranked in quarterback rankings right now? <laughs> Let's play this game. Where do you, where do you think I have him? I'm going to guess quarterback 22. Quarterback 12. And I was surprised by this what? ranking. Yes. The, the, the Titans right now are projected for like the six most points on the entire week. So it's like, what am I supposed to do? They projected for almost uh, 26 and a quarter points this week. So I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The Jaguars, uh, Josh Allen's not playing. Uh, Miles, Miles uh, Jack isn't yeah. playing. Yeah. They're already dead last in all these categories. And Vegas thinks that the Titans are going to come out here and ball. And I think there's a couple, not just Julio Jones, which obviously is the big thing. Jeremy McNichols, the passing down back, is back in the lineup. Their left guard, Nate Davis, is back and practicing after dealing with concussions. So... I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I was surprised I was ranking these guys so high, but if Vegas is thinking that they're, they're going to score the six most points, I can't just like not rank any of these guys high. Like either we have to be betting, like putting a full blown mortgage against the Titans, or we have to put well, these guys where they should, should be uh, projected in fantasy. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to have Julio as a starter and Ryan Tannehill as a starter as well. And every single battle Royale I face off against you this week, I better freaking see you stack up Ryan Tannehill and Julio Jones after this conversation. We'll see it. <laughs> My issue with that team, and you mentioned Nate Davis being back, but they're so much better as run blockers than they are as pass protectors right now. Now, Josh Allen being out is a huge deal because he is absolutely the best pass rusher that that the Jaguars bring to the table. Um, but we even need, I mean, this team is still the second ranked team in the AFC in terms of the playoff picture right now. The Titans are. And we could not be... We could not be lower, lower on them at this point here as we get to week 14. Can that change? Yes. But again, this trajectory that they're on, while they dominate, well, not dominate, they beat the Colts twice this season. I mean, everyone with eyes far more believes in the Colts versus the Titans. But again, a good deodorant to your offense when Ryan Tannehill is one of seven quarterbacks with eight plus wins this season. And he also has the fewest passing touchdowns of those eight teams. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. So maybe it's there. They stink, man. They got nobody. Their only two good players on defense are hurt. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, just for the running back situation, I think with Jeremy Nichols back, he'll be the third down back, and Deonta Foreman will be 
the Bruins there. So it's going to be a two-back committee. Don't really like that. You're just going to be hoping for touchdowns from Deontay Foreman. Uh, but I think the Dontrell Hilliard stuff, you can't play that. The Jeremy McNichol stuff, you can't play with that. So yeah. um, you don't want to be starting these guys. But I guess Deontay Foreman, like I wouldn't be surprised if he had like 80 rushing yards and a touchdown as nine-point favorites on the team that's supposed to score somehow the six most points in the week. Yeah, we had a pretty long conversation about Dontrell Hilliard. And while he was brought in to be like the replacement on pure passing downs for Jerry McNichols, he then showed some pretty good running instincts when given the opportunity. I don't know and I don't want to be in the brain of, of Mike Rabel, but I do wonder if he like graduated from just being a passing down player to get more work as well. But I don't also don't believe like Deontay Foreman did anything worse to lose that role. So I think what you have said is the correct way. Hilliard has been on this team for like a month and McNichols has been on the team for like a year and a half, you know? So I would expect McNichols to go back to his role of catching passes and Deontay Foreman to be the running back. Is, is it fair to say your team's effed if you're starting these guys? <laughs> yes. All but right. when in your end scenario, maybe, you know, you have some of these players on a buy, like maybe you have Damian Harris on a buy or Miles Sanders on a buy or Jonathan Taylor on a buy. You need to play someone, you know? I would pick Deontay Foreman out of out of all of those backs. I would too. All right. As always, we saved the worst one o'clock games for last. Seattle Seahawks go to the Houston Texans, seven and a half point favorites. Uh, I don't think anything was really fixed here for Seattle when going back and watching that San Francisco 49ers game in terms of that offense. I mean, if you subtract that 73-yard fake punt, they still had about 250 yards of total offense. DK got ISO'd on his third and 14. It was a great throw by Russ, and he was able to win because of single high. Tyler Lockett won versus Josh Norman over and over and over again. Guess what? Single high. I say all of that, and now they get the Houston Texans, but he also mentioned those two words, single high. Lovey Smith does the exact opposite. He's been cashing checks, maybe right or wrongly, forever for running cover two. So those explosive plays down the field, despite the Texans being brutally bad, might be a little more difficult than they were against the 49ers. I hear you. They just don't have any good players. So that cover two defense is like not scaring the like uh, explosive play element that I'm worried about. And I kind of disagree with you because I thought that Russell oh. Wilson looked much better last week, just throwing the ball. There was not those plays where you just throw it to the flats and the ball would be sailing. Like that didn't happen. Actually, Sports Info Solutions had his on target rate at 81% last week. In the three games prior, that was at 58%. So he was like literally couldn't throw the ball last week. And I think even the week before that, you kind of started seeing how that finger issue was less of an issue. And that's why I have DK Metcalf as my Benji of the week here, getting pretty bold with this one. Um, he missed on just a couple of plays last week. Uh, multiple end zone targets that went incomplete that were just out of reach. That He caught a pass out of bounds that was nearly a big play uh the even the first play of the game was a screen to dk metcalf so that's telling me that they want to get him back involved there's also not a single wide receiver in the fantasy usage model that is a bigger positive regression candidate than dk metcalf this week period the math saying it my eye test is saying it and i think that this matchup indoors a very upset russell wilson about those uh floating um, reports out there. I think that's all kind of playing into this and we get that pissed off DK Metcalf, pissed off Russell Wilson. And then, the, and then I get the little Benji of the week call. No, a couple things. One, we know DK Metcalf loves his models. We know that. And two, oh, yes. 
I don't think Russ is pissed off. This is the same player who this past offseason released teams he would waive his no trade clause to. That storyline has just been recycled. You know, he did it to himself. So I also whatever whatever he needs to do, just throw the ball to freaking DK Metcalf. <laughs> He's still top 20 in fantasy usage over the last month. The worst stretch of DK Metcalf's career. But even with that, he still has top 20 fantasy usage. There's like nothing more I can think of as like betting on a positive regression DK Metcalf. Like you usually that those guys, the positive regression candidates are like five foot nine, 185 pounds. And I'm scared to death that I'm betting on them. Like, no, this is like the six foot four, 230 pound guy that can run a four three. So this is a pretty rare opportunity. Can't wait for it. So theoretically, if you were to make a pick em slip or two this weekend, the over under for 63 and a half receiving yards for DK Metcalf. I've already bet it. Okay. Oh, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, interesting. All right. I like that. By the way, the DK Metcalf tweets this offseason, subtweets when Russ leaves him, electric. They're going to be so electric. Uh, that's starting to boil over here. But maybe, maybe they can mend things here this weekend. Is there anything we need to say about the Houston Texans? I mean, no. Tyra Taylor got benched. He was absolutely abysmal. You remember those conversations, and you hated whenever I would bring this up? about how many points the Texans would average. Guess what, Hayden? We're here. The Texans are averaging 13.7 points per game this season, the fewest in the NFL since the 2012 season. That was a prediction. Now, the other second half of that prediction was Brandon Cooks. He's the wide receiver 30 in fancy points per game, so that hasn't you know completely connected to that. But that, that's that been very, very boom-bust. Very, very oh, boom-bust. Brandon Cooks, 100% better in best ball. Yes. Yes. Very fair. All right. For the four o'clock window, I need everyone that is here right now. You, John, you, Alpha, you, Kazai, or Kosi, to like and subscribe to this very show. We appreciate you all being here. We're still on the chase to get to 10,000 subscribers. We'll get there faster if you help us. We're here Thursdays, Sundays, with both a pregame show at 10 a.m. Eastern and then an instant reaction slash power ranking show at 7.30, so join us for those. And as always, your favorite show and our favorite show on Tuesdays, the Fantasy Usage Model. So again, a subscription down below, free. We appreciate you, especially the podcast listeners who jump on over to YouTube and join us. Smash it. Smash it down below. Only right. smash it if you think that Josh and I deserve the Pat McAfee checkbook. <laughs> Only smash it then. I will say, there's many positives to that. But I would say... Someone who speaks online that is not connected to a media conglomerate and instead connected to fine companies that like to have some fun when watching football games and other sports, that might be the better pathway than, again, working for uh, Graybeards on television networks. Just saying. The better pathway is for you to freaking smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, so I can catch catch this $30 million check. How about that? Hayden, but some people were told that maybe putting your focus into podcasts, you shouldn't do that. You know, there's no money in podcasts. All right. Four o'clock window. Let's do it. And we start with an awesome game. Buffalo Bills. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks favored by three and a half. Total. A 52 and a half. Teams do not want to run on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Guess what? That sounds like great news. 
for the Buffalo Bills because they don't want to run, period. couple things. Low-key, off Monday night football, and now facing the best team in the league, I could see Josh Allen throwing the ball 45, heck, even 50 times. I know on underdog, we have Josh Allen's total yards, not just passing yards, total yards at 322 and a half. Love the over there because this game, win, lose, draw, is going to be put on the shoulders of Josh Allen. Completely agree. Bills, number one, neutral pass rate. The Bucks defense, number one, neutral pass rate allowed. Both teams, top 10 in neutral offensive pace as well. So, yeah, this is just a game where you're basically trying to start as many pe- people as you can. And Josh Allen obviously hasn't been playing quite as well, but still really good rushing the ball a ton. He rushes the ball, especially when the team is down. And in the playoffs, we see this oftentimes in must-win games. Quarterbacks are a little bit more willing to run the ball. So all that stuff is going into Josh Allen's favor. I think I like the matchups for Cole Beasley and Steph Diggs the most out of all of them. If you're going to play the zone defense route, maybe so with Cole Beasley. I don't want to fully buy into that, though, just because the Bucks secondary is now healthy and they actually have their top three corners. Um, so I'm not sure if they're going to keep playing all this zone, and especially this defensive coordinator would love to just mix things up against Josh Allen. But even with all that stuff, like the pace, the pass rates, all that stuff, this is like the best fantasy game that you can basically uh, drop right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of said it all on the Bills offense already, even though we like a lot of their pieces and we like them to put up a bunch of yards. Well, again, I will say with Vita Vea back, the Bucks run defense, very difficult. And they've started to lose corners once again, like Jamel Dean, I think, is back out of this game, maybe yeah. a couple more as well. So we're kind of back into that cycle for them. And as we talked about the pick em lines for the Bills, it's also interesting here for the Bucks, Hayden, because since the Bills defense lost Trey White, we only saw them face three passing attempts. So we learned absolutely nothing about this number one ranked Bills defense without their number one player, at least in coverage, in Tredavious White. So I see as their number one outside receiver, Mike Evans, 59 and a half receiving yards. Also want to tie that to what the Bucs have been doing in recent weeks. All 13 plays on the Bucs opening drive touchdown last week, all passes. Every single one of them. We see these games every once in a while for Tom Brady where he's like, look, in heading into that week, I know exactly how to make these decisions based on the coverages that they give me, and I'm going to shred you. I, I think we've seen that before. Every single drive, every single play being a pass. I'm not saying we're going to get that, but again, a game that you dominated being close to 41 passing attempts, throwing the ball against the Bills might be the great route here too. I combined all of the expected half PPR points from my model and the Bills wide receivers and the Bucks wide receivers combined for the second and third most points in the entire league. So, yeah, Mike Evans loved the call without the Tredavious White. I don't think that that secondary is nearly as good. I think that Tredavious White was a massive ingredient to this Bills defense. This Bills defense also has been facing one of the easiest strengths of schedule. So I think that their numbers are a little bit inflated there. Coming down to um, Tampa, I like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk. A whole lot. And if I think if you're going to play, like, where is the strengths? Probably at what linebacker and safety. Matt so Milano. maybe if they, yep. 
Maybe if that's a little bit worse for Gronk, that's even a little bit better for Mike Evans. So I have both of the wide receivers inside the top 10. That shouldn't be breaking news. Yeah, we, we know that the Bucks' offensive line is very good. We also know that Tom Brady doesn't hold on to the football very long. He's third quickest in terms of time to throw in the NFL, which is very different than like Tua and Ben in terms of their targets. Because despite being third quickest in the NFL in time to throw, Brady is fifth in 20-plus yard passing attempts. So he just knows how to recognize and who to pinpoint. And as soon as he makes that decision, it can be wherever the field and he's getting rid of it and you can't pressure him because of it. I mean, you know, I like the Bills a lot. In fact, I was this close to picking them as the underdog of the week because I think everyone's doubting them based on what they've shown the last few weeks, including Monday Night Football. But I can't get over how at home, I think the Bucs are the best team in the league. The best team in the league. How high is too high for Leonard Fournette in fantasy rankings? I mean, I have him inside the top five every single week. Like, that's well, not I, like out of control, is it? I love that, again, in the pick and lobby, we have his rushing plus receiving yards. And it's not just rushing. Because, again, last week against the Falcons, um, he was a main component in that receiving game. I mean, he was finding soft spots five, six, eight yards down the field. And he has morphed into an every down player for them. Like we talked about Giovanni Bernard heading into the year, but Leonard Fournette does everything well and he's not a tell at all. And so I love that we have his combined 94 and a half rushing plus receiving yards. And it's not just like 70 rushing yards or whatever. Yeah, I, I can see it going either way. I can see the Bucks like all of a sudden trying to run the ball all over the Bills, like what just happened last week, um, which would play into Fournette. But even if they pass a ton, it's still him running all the routes. So yeah, massive win for Leonard Fournette. San Francisco, Cincinnati, 49ers are one and a half point favorites. A total of 48 and a half. This spread has flipped just a couple of days ago. I think yesterday when I came with my notes, the Bengals were one point favorites. And again, it's flipped on over to the 49ers quickly. Can we just guess why? I'm assuming that maybe Vegas betters, and again, it's basically a pick them at one, are a little nervous about the broken pinky or dislocated pinky that Joe Burrow is dealing with. But Hayden, quickly on the 49ers end of this, Still tons of questions. I mean, an endless list of what could go wrong injury-wise. Like, we have no update on Debo Samuel. And then in the running game, Eli Mitchell was not seen during the media portion of Thursday's practice here for the 49ers. Those are your two, like, most gifted, talented, dependable runners on offense that is built on explosive, dependable, and consistent running game. I think the the downgrade from Eli Mitchell to Jeff Wilson is massive because Jeff Wilson just does not have the juice. And that's even when Jeff Wilson is um, fully healthy. Like right now, he is not fully healthy. And if you look at like uh, yards over expected, I have my own model. And right now, Eli Mitchell is running laps around Jeff Wilson. So I think that injury is a downgrade in this system. Debo Samuel injury, I don't expect him to play. That's obviously... A downgrade, And then on the Bengals side, last week, when I picked the Chargers uh, as my underdog of the week, it was because their center, Trey Hopkins, right tackle, Riley Reef weren't going to play. This week, they are expected to play. So why don't we flip the script right back at them? And I'm going to go with the Bengals as my underdog of the week to upset the 49ers. And I, I've got a feeling that you're going to be going the same way. Yep, absolutely the same way. And there are a few reasons why. Cincinnati side, and we talked about with the 49ers. One, they lead the NFL in defensive pass interference, the 49ers do. And two, matching these 49ers corners. One, it's Josh Norman on one side, who's old, decrepit, 
falling by the wayside every single moment. And a Same. rookie, and rookie on the other side too, versus Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And we've talked at length, you know, about those two sides and like how we wish they threw down the field more and more, whatever. One, Chase was basically back last week if he didn't drop that deep ball. And he's actually done that a couple of times too. But guess what? T. Higgins is picking up the slack just like Chase was against T earlier on. So as long as they can protect against Nick Bosa, who has 12 sacks on the season, then I think the Bengals offense can do very well in comparison to like, I wouldn't be making this pick if the 49ers did have Debo and they did have Eli Mitchell because I believe in them enough versus what the Bengals defense puts out there. But when it's what we believe here on Thursday to be a less than 100% offense, I really like the Bengals here. I'm guessing the spread flipped because Joe Burrow didn't practice on Wednesday. But if you just like listen to the doctors initially, they didn't think that even when he dislocated his pinky last week, that it wasn't going to be a big deal. It's not a finger that you use to pass the ball. You don't grip it that much. They can inject it. He was practicing uh, today. So I don't see a reason to flip out over this. In fact, Joe Burrow's second half of the game was better than his first half of the game. Like he was making a bunch of good throws in the second half of the game anyways. So I, I I don't have that many concerns with Joe Joe Burrow's finger. I don't have many concerns with Joe Mixon's illness as long as he gets into practice tomorrow, um, especially since they're at home. Like I'm not worried about Joe Mixon. So start your studs. We know that the big three, it's T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon. Final thought here. If there was ever a game to feature Trey Lance to give you juice in the running attack, it would be this one when you don't have Debo probably and you don't have Eli Mitchell probably yet. Do we think Cal Shanahan is going to do that? No. It's it, it, this conversation is always so tough because I don't know if it's Shanahan's fault or if it's just Trey Lance isn't ready. So like we're going to learn more like this off season and like what they do with Jimmy G if they trade him, which I'm assuming they are how Trey Lance looks, but yeah, something's something's not adding up. I don't know who I'm, to not, I'm not saying start the guy. What I'm saying is go back to the plan that you had during the offseason of bring him in for certain packages to again unleash this rushing attack and, and let it hit its potential. But as we've also said, and what you just said, something is up for him to like do a complete 180 and like take the blame of, oh, it screws up my rhythm as a play caller. I don't think that that's true. I think it's just that he doesn't think Trey is, is ready for that. But it's too young. Too young. Giants, Chargers. Chargers beat up on those Bengals last week, and they are 10.5-point favorites here, a total of 44.5. How many projected points are the Giants expected oh, for this week? It's bad. <laughs> it's like basement dweller stuff here. And 17. One, 17. A few reasons why. Uh, Kadarius Tony is going to be out for this game. It does sound like Sterling Shepard's going to be in, but that means Mike Glennon, who's also not 100%, is going to start this game. No Giants running back or wide receiver has scored a touchdown in their last five games. What the hell? This that's is an tough. NFL. That, that is actually. That's impressive shit to have only tight ends and your left tackle score touchdowns for you over five games. Shocking, but amazing at the same time. Um, I know we want to talk about the Chargers. We don't want to say anything about. Okay, quickly to close up the Giants thing. Saquon Barkley. Yeah, your name. This is a yay for me. I moved him up uh, actually quite a lot. Uh, last week, he had 14.6 expected half PPR points. That was much higher than it was the first two games back. Um, he didn't do anything with them. 
But obviously the matchup going against what Brandon Staley likes to do, he likes to be light in the box. Even if he's gapped up, he still is relatively light. Teams are choosing to run on the Chargers. So uh, whether it's Glennon or Jake Fromm, I think that they have no choice but to get Saquon Barkley uh, up. I mean, probably is still an RB2, but I think that this is has a much better odds of a bounce-back game this week than I thought he did last week. Okay, I buried the lead. I'm a bad host. Let's talk about it with the Chargers. Uh, Keenan Allen, COVID list. Mike Williams, close contact. That close contact, however, was on Monday. So if we get every protocol followed, it sounds like Mike Williams is going to be fine to play here on Sunday, even though the updates are few and far between. Other than that name, Hayden, I mean, they don't have like a one-for-one replacement, obviously, for Keenan Allen over the middle of the field. We have other names like Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton. How do you want to handle that? It's possible that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams play. Keenan's vaccinated. If he gets uh, some negative tests before that game, he can come back. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's possible. Mike Williams, he's still testing negative. If he continues to test negative, he'll be back. The problem with Mike Williams, though, is uh, reportedly he's unvaccinated. So if he does test positive, he's not out for just this week. He's out for the next game as well because they play on Thursday. So lots of moving parts here. Let's assume both are out because we know that you're starting either of these guys if they're healthy. If both are out, it's Josh Palmer, who I think is a little bit better of a fit in the slot uh, than Jalen Guyton. I think that they'll keep Jalen Guyton in his downfield role and move Josh Palmer around, but I wouldn't feel too comfortable with either of them. To me, if if either one of these said receivers are out, Jared Cook goes up the rankings, Austin Eckler goes way up to the moon, and these other guys, like you're just hoping they score a long touchdown or something like that. Yeah, I mean, on the Giants' defensive end, they're getting Justin Herbert who just finished with a career high in completions of 20 plus yards against the Cincinnati Bengals going back and watching this game. And hopefully this play shows up here on the feed, but it just shows you the difference of what Joe Burrow puts out there. I'm about to play it in a moment, but it's that deep shot to Jalen Guyton where it's play action in shotgun with, with the running back action to the left. That's a natural rollout here to Justin Herbert on the right side. So often every single week when you see this play, it's typically all the wide receivers are doing crossing routes to kind of condense the field and do some high lows on the right side. Well, even further, it's basically to the numbers that Justin Herbert is on the opposite end. Instead of having that, and you can tell that's what these corners and safeties and every defense is used to seeing when you see this type of action. Justin Herbert launches rockets. And this is the difference in having his arm versus anyone else because no one else pretty much across the league is trying this is trying this throw. And while it sounds like, oh, it's underthrown a little bit, this is a 50-yard rope from the opposite numbers to the opposite hash. And again, concepts and passing routes that no one else across the league brings. And so I'm so glad that while it hasn't been in every single game, we know Justin Herbert brings this to the table. We know he does. And so I want to see it more and more and more because of that, like the Chargers are now top five in what EPA and DVOA offensively, and so much of it is because what Herbert brings to the table versus other quarterbacks. Yeah, he's just ridiculous. He made so many insane throws. They let him throw the ball downfield last week, which was cool. So, yeah, we're just going to be following the news. That's why we have the Sunday morning show. Uh, call Animal in the morning. Then Josh and I come in here. We go over the pick 'em slips. It's because we don't know all the COVID stuff and all the other injury stuff. So that's why we have the Sunday show. Be here.
be here for that. Okay, one more 4 o'clock game, then we'll keep going. Detroit Lions, Denver Broncos. Seven and a half total. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a nice Freudian slip. I mean, maybe. It might be a seven and a half total in this game. 42 total. Broncos are favored by seven and a half. Uh, just a couple news things. Like, I don't even know how much we want to talk about this. Main conversation, because the wide receivers, the Broncos have kind of disappeared. It's the running back situation. And we saw Javante go off last week against the Chiefs in a full-time role. Well, we get Melvin Gordon saying, quote, I feel like I'll be able to go. And Hayden, as we have talked about it, while it would be awesome for Javante to get 100% of the snaps, if we are being realistic with the Broncos, 6-6, six and six, getting to this point with solid defensive play, less than seller passing as of recent weeks, it'll probably go back to a 50-50 split between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams if MG3 plays. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one who draws the start if he's active. Yeah, this could easily be a situation where it's the veteran starts. He's paid well. He likes to be in Denver. He had told reporters today that he wants to be in Denver in 2022 and that he's been noticing how all of the Broncos fans don't want him there. And it's crazy how, I mean, no one has a cult following like the Javante Williams stuff right now. It's actually sure. absolutely absurd. I have Javante ranked higher than Melvin Gordon this week just because there's a chance that he keeps this bell cow role. There's a chance Melvin Gordon has a setback injury. But I think that the most likely scenario is the one that you outlined, which is it's a pretty even split. Maybe it goes 60-40 to Javante or something like that. But I would be pretty surprised if it was just Javante Belkow season, if Melvin Gordon's healthy. Um, but there's a chance of that happening. So I had to rank Javante um, just inside my top 20. On the other end, Detroit Lions got a win last week. A lot of that was through shorter receptions to Amon Ross St. Brown to go along with some intermediate and deep targets. Yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, I know that their coaching staff came out this week and said that they want to have Jared Goff throw more deep shots each week. A couple of things wrong with that. That's like totally forgetting that he threw an awful interception, allowed himself to have a strip sack when... He forgot that an edge rusher flew by him and then started his windup and boom, another one. But again, Jared Goff actually threw some dimes in that game as well. So with that in mind and considering who they're playing against, the two high God in Vic Fangio, are deep shots the right avenue here against this Denver Broncos defense? I mean, n- none of it's the right avenue. Like, I don't know how they're going to do this if, if, DeAndre Swift's not going to play, and it sounds like he's not going to play. They need yards after the catch, guys. The Broncos' defense, while it's been missing some pieces, still looks really good every single week. So, yeah, I mean, the Lions are projected for 17 points. Like, yeah. it's not good. Is it Jamal Williams? I have outside my top 24 running back, like just outside of it because he didn't have the passing downs. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, I always have as a top eight fantasy tight end because of volume. That should be the case especially here. I'm still like, but like how Josh Reynolds and Monroe, between, like oh. exactly. And Khalif Raymond, like, no, thank no. you. No. I, Your team's asked if you're starting those guys, there has never been a player or a trio that deserves that title more than this Lions one. Yeah. As well. And we'll be monitoring the TJ Hawkins and stuff. New hand injury. Don't know the, the situation there. Primetime games, two more, and then we'll get out of here. Chicago bears, green Bay Packers, 
How many points are the Bears projected for, Hayden? Because it's a total of 43 and a half, and the Packers are favored by 12 and a half. If you all remember, this was the, quote, I own you game from Aaron Rodgers to Soldier Field, and now he gets them in Green Bay. Yeah, 15 and a half, and again, that's with Justin Fields. Let's first start off with the Packers because they're coming out of their bye, I believe, and Aaron Rodgers... I mean, in that same stretch of time has like really started to feel it. We're getting 2020 MVP vibes from Aaron Rodgers because he's masking all these issues. He's masking all of these injuries to Aaron Jones, to the offensive line. He's making them all disappear. And guess what? Just one team left on the schedule has a winning record. So this can continue for the next four or five weeks for Aaron Rodgers and should start against this Bears defense that is without Khalil Mack and without a few other pieces as well. When we did our power ranking show last Sunday, it was the Bucks, the Cardinals, and the Packers as our top three. I think there's a drop-off after those. Like That's when you get into your Chiefs and your Bills and the Patriots and all that, that stuff. I think the top three teams includes the Packers, and they're only going to get better. Um, as for this matchup, the Bears defense goes from negative .09 EPA per dropback with Khalil Mack to plus 0.18 EPA per dropback, which if you extrapolate that into the entire season, the Bears would be 25th in passing EPA. So this Bears defense, which on at one point was decent, is not that decent anymore. And that's why Aaron Rodgers does, in fact, own them. We, we were actually able to own the Packers via that stock market, but you cannot own the Bears unless uh, you are Aaron Rodgers or inherited that team. By the way. That stock certificate thing, what a joke. It's just a donation you're giving them. Like, you people are insane. I understand. Like, if Villa did that, I'd probably get one and it'd be like right there behind my wall. But you, you're just donating money to a billion dollar organization. So, make some the Packers some just like bid a, they just bought a bunch of Bitcoin with that money and just laugh into the like, bank. It's, it's no ownership at all. Uh, Randall Cobb out for indefinitely, I believe. Does this open anything up? Because again, 12 and a half point favorites, despite again, the game total being 43 and a half, it's still a high, high, high team total here. Is it MVS? Who else might you be leaning towards here? Oh, it's MVS, baby. Uh, you, you know me well enough to toss me up a perfect segue into MVS talk. Uh, 14.1 and 11.6 expected half BPR points in the last two games. Ran around on 78% of dropbacks in week 12 before the buy. Now, no Randall Cobb. This is the perfect matchup away from Jalen Johnson to have a huge, big play here. I have MVS ranked probably higher than anybody on this entire planet, all the way up to wide receiver 31. He's like the perfect dart throw if you're looking for that for people on the bye week. I think that the big discussion is A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones. And this is one where there is no right answer going into this. This is 100% gut feel. I do, do not have Aaron Jones inside my top 12, even though the Packers are projected to score the second most points this week, because I do think AJ Dillon's going to be involved. I think that element is too special for the Packers to get rid of. So I think it's going to be close to somewhat of a 50, 50 split. Um, do you have any thoughts with, with the backfield? Part of me, again, what I laid out of just one team has a winning record left on their schedule you get Aaron Jones to as close to 100% as possible when the playoffs roll around. And until then, you get the guy that was getting 
a less amount of volume early on the season. And AJ Dillon, who narrative street time is built aesthetically for this time of the calendar. And then you also get Aaron Rodgers, who's dominating quick game, dominating extended plays on target with everything. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to need both backs to get 15, 20 touches in this game, but they might need that once the playoffs roll around. So, yeah, I'm with you. I bet A.J. Dillon gets more opportunities. Yeah, the good news is if you had Aaron Jones, your team's, you're not setting your lineup this week anyways. So You're yeah. such an asshole. He's been terrible this this year. People Hayden, have gotten in the first round. First round? Hayden, are you kidding me? Aiden, in half-point PPR scoring, there are more than one way to skin a cat. And let's say that team picked up Eli Mitchell. Let's say that team picked up Cordell Patterson and they had running back eligibility. There's a chance that they're still here in week 14. How dare you? These people listen to us. They know how to compensate for mistakes like their Aaron Rodgers and injuries. You know, it happens. It's tough. It's tough out there. See? Look at David. David knows. David knows. See? We know our audience. Here we go. We'll close out with Monday Night Football. Oh, we need to talk about the Bears. Anything with the Bears at all? Like, I can't believe I am not looking forward to a Justin Fields start. But the Packers defense, it's about to ramp up another notch because either this week or soon, Jair Alexander is coming back. And we've already seen pieces of Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and maybe Zadarius comes back as well. As a whole unit, I'm totally with you. Top three teams, the Packers need to be along and above that line, and then the rest are just fighting for that fourth, fifth, sixth spots. Yeah, so I think Darnell Mooney was a starter, but he has some splits with and without Allen Robinson, who got in some practices this week. I'm expecting Allen Robinson to play. His expected half PPR points go from 12.5 down to 8.6. 8.6 expected half PPR points. Not going to cut it. And then with Justin Fields at quarterback, it goes from 11.6 down to 8.2. So Darnell Mooney, I moved way down the projected score, 15 points. Like, what am I supposed to do? I think the only person that you can possibly start here is David Montgomery, just had a bell cow um, workload purposes, but he even he's really banged up with like four or five body parts. So, yeah, yeah look, I mean. Looked good last week, had juice, but if you want more on him specifically, we have like a whole timestamp on that with uh, with David Montgomery on the usage show. So go back and find that. Timestamps always, thanks to Hayden, on these very fine programs. Final game, and it's an awesome one. Rams-Cardinals. Arizona favored by two and a half at home. A total of 51 and a half. A total lightning show we might get. Left in the season for Arizona. Speaking of future opponents. Home in a dome this week. Then Lions in a dome. Then home in a dome again. Cowboys in a dome. And then you close out once again at home. So they aren't going to play outside until the playoffs and maybe until the second round, if they continue or th- until the Super Bowl, they might not play the outside <laughs> for the rest of the damn season. If they hold on to the number one seed and that just perfectly aligns with Kyler Murray, Deandre Hopkins, James Connor, the window for chase Edmonds to come back is nearing this. So how do you think that those pieces are going to fare against an LA Rams team that we talked about offensively is going through some changes, but again, always, always have these pieces defensively that can make some game changing moments in Aaron Donald and in Jalen Ramsey. 
Yeah, they have those pieces, but the Rams defense is like largely regressed. Maybe Von Miller gets his feet uh, caught from underneath him. But yeah, right now, the, the big thing is this game, just the environment is so perfect. Both teams top 10 in neutral pass rate. Both teams, or uh, offensive pace, I should say, both top 12 in neutral uh, pass rate. This team's just special, man. This this Cardinals team could do everything. We talked about in the oh usage show. Go listen to that stuff. Just how many formations they use. Like this rotation of receiver, I mean, it's different types of skills and it's very hard to defend. I think that for matchup purposes, uh, after DeAndre Hopkins, to me, I'm ranking AJ Green next. His matchup is easiest on the outside. Uh, if you look at what Christian Kirk did in this matchup in week four, he only saw one target. I think possibly some of that was because Jalen Ramsey playing in that slot role. So I think that what the Rams and the Cardinals are going to do play some deep, a lot of zone defense and just try to avoid the big play. The problem though, is these quarterbacks are just big play hunting and they have the wide receivers to make it happen. So I'm expecting like everybody in this world, another huge, huge game from both sides of the ball. I brought up the dome stuff because actually when you went back and watched that Cardinals and bears game from last week, one, it was Kyler returning, but also like the ball flew out of his hand, like on their first drive. And he had a couple other issues throughout, uh, this is the perfect environment, like you said, for them to do anything they want to. And the personnel groupings and how they've adjusted all season long, as you outlined, I, I, I think is so, so, so perfect. Um, and we just haven't seen like that entire unit work as good as it did five, six weeks ago. But let's not forget, and I think it's natural to do that, it's electric. They are so, so good together. And hats go off to Cliff. I'm surprised Cliff hasn't gotten more love for Coach of the Year. Like it's been a lot of LaFleur, it's been a lot of Belichick, it's so on and so forth. But Cliff, especially in the little football bubble that we occupy, that damn Adam Levitan, calling him a fake sharp, Cliff has been anything but that this year. The addition of Ronnie Hudson has changed their rushing attack and just, again, how multiple and versatile they are. It's all changed. It's all changed for him. They're just, he's just using his pieces better this year. I think any critique coming into this year was totally fair. I mean, yeah. you and I talked about this on, on this podcast that he wasn't moving DeAndre Hopkins in a lot. Like we thought a lot of the stuff was just pretty vanilla, but he's been he's been in the lab. I mean, he's just been excellent. So yeah, totally with you. He he deserves some Kyle or um some coach of the year um love here. I, I'm surprised that they're only projected for 27 points this week. Like hmm. most times this offense fully healthy, they're scoring more than 27 points. I think that this Rams defense, while good. It's not elite. Like every single stat, they're right in the middle of the pack, like 14th, 18th, 17th. Like I'm not that that scared, especially that I mean, the stadium should be absolutely pumping. This is one of the biggest games the Cardinals have had since I've been alive. Rams offense time. Usage show. We spent minutes on this, a very long time. Sony Michelle versus Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson's gotten a limited practice since then. You and I think it'd go a number of ways. If I was to lean to one at this moment, it would be Sony Michelle being the lead back against the Cardinals. And it's not just that because they're running them differently. The offense has changed some. Like again, last week they started in heavy personnel, two tight ends and an offensive lineman. And I truly believe there is something to Sean McVay either wanting to jumpstart or adding some consistency because he believes that they can create chunk plays in the passing game to then set them up for, third and four, third and three, and Sony Michelle hitting the hole that is blocked for him and winning on contact is something that maybe they were missing with a hobbled 
Daryl Henderson. Um, we've talked about it. Cardinals defense, shockingly high in a lot of these metrics when grading defensive units. But how do you feel about these Rams players that I'm expecting them to put up a bunch of points too? I think what you just said was spot on. This Rams offense was super efficient and they should continue passing the ball a ton, but they were fourth coming into this week. They're fourth in passing EPA, 25th in rushing EPA. And I think a lot of that is because of Daryl Henderson, more of a boom bust player. And I think that if they were trying to set up some of the play action stuff that the, we know Sean McVay wants to run, I'm with you. I think it's going to be Sony Michelle kind of setting it up a little more of a bankable player uh, for sure. Healthier. Um, so I moved Sony Michelle. I'm kind of caught in between in rankings. Like right now I'm in like the RB two range. I think he's going to be the lead back, even if Daryl Henderson is activated, but it's completely TBD. He can end up being the RB one overall. That's the ceiling that there is here. But at the same time, Daryl Henderson can come in here and be a 50, 50 split. So uh, very tough ranking. I think ultimately I would rather have Sony Michelle this week. And again, Sony Michelle is not going to give you the same 20, 25, 30 yard carries that Daryl Henderson has the potential to. The juice is not there, but the simple gains, the rhythm of the offense, I really feel like without Robert Woods, McVay needs to change some things. And Odell is not going to do anything that Robert Woods does. Van is taking on a little bit more of that role, but not nearly as good at it. Like that's why they were able to use those guys as like pseudo tight ends at time is because it allowed them to do so many versatile and multiple things. And instead, McVay, who I'm sure reads the things, reads the columns about how he can't adjust in the second half, maybe his adjustment is to get bigger and heavier and bully more people. That's potential. Quickly on the Cardinals. I mean, we talk about it all the time that like they lack superstars. Totally true. But Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones are one of two teammate duos with eight-plus sacks on the season. The only other one is Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick. Jordan Hicks has been great at linebacker. And Isaiah Simmons, who obviously was a top-ten pick a couple years ago, does a lot of things wrong, but his athleticism is second to none out there. So he can make some crazy things happen and absolutely drag Jimmy Graham last week. And then at cornerback, Robert Alford is grading extremely well, according to PFF, and Buda Baker makes plays. So this is a unit that, again, lacking name brand, but as a group in totality, kept Cooper Cup to his lowest reception total of five and lowest re- receiving yard total of 64 in week four. Maybe they can do it again. In that week four game, they rushed with three or four defenders on a season high 34 dropbacks per sports info solutions. They were just saying, all right, we're rushing with three or four. We're going to play really deep downfield. You're going to have to dink and dunk your way. And that led to a 6.8 yards per attempt for Matthew Stafford. And a lot of these players didn't have very good games just in general. And they got absolutely smoked by Arizona the first time out. So um, I would guess we're going to be, it's going to be the same formula. And if they are going to be playing deep downfield to take away the Odell deep shot, the Cooper cup, big deep crossing route, maybe this could be a game where they're a little bit more balanced, but in general, like, if you're in a 50-50 spot with these guys on who to start, like get you some pieces into this game. It should be a good one. Yeah. I mean, the Cardinals defense is clearly worse against the run than they are the pass. But when tied to the offensive success that they have on that side of the ball, it forces you to catch up on the scoreboard and it forces you to throw the football. So yep. maybe the Rams get the ball first, so on and so forth, and they start that game plan. That's a I can't wait to watch that Monday night football game. It's gonna be a great one. All right. 
Again, you can check out Haynes' rankings, everything you need. Fantasy Blueprint, underblog.underdogfantasy.com. And we'll be back here on Sunday. Animal takes calls from 10 to 11. Then Hayden and I jump on at 11 to go through some of these games, answer all your questions, the latest news. That's really when all the decisions should be made, especially in this still COVID and injury year that we have. As always, if you have never tried Underdog Fantasy, now is the time to do it. Next week, we're going to have at least one stream going through some drafts for 2022, sophomores and juniors, some playoff best ball as well, the best game out there. But until then, go and play some Pick'em. We talked about some lines with Patrick Mahomes overs and Josh Allen overs and so on and so forth. Go in, deposit anything at your first time, use promo code the show, and we'll match it. If it's 10 bucks, 30 bucks, 59 bucks, we'll match it directly to you. Did I miss anything there? We have DFS games too. If you want to do snake drafts for just week 14, we got them. If you just want to do snake drafts for Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, we got those too. So yeah, it's do a little bit of everything. It's not just best ball. Tony, One Rock, David, Anand, Alpha, all of you here that join us on YouTube, I truly appreciate you, the podcast audience too. Thank you for checking us out on a weekly basis. On to 10,000 for Hayden. I am Josh. Up the villa and Stevie G. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. Mm-hmm.